Buyer beware, the following podcast contains spoilers for the movie The Dark Knight. This is Diabolical, the comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host Gaz, and this week's movie is 2008's modern classic The Dark Knight. So, Peril Pals, spend your millions wisely and buy lots of gadgets in order to fight crime. And for the four in attendance and the hundreds of thousands listening at home, let's get diabolical! <laughs> he didn't shut his eyes this time. <laughs> no. no. Awuga. Safe to return my headphones, which I removed during that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's pod. Joining me are the panel of peril who will compete at the show's close to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for our season two leaderboard. Okay then boys, nay fellas, nay gents, nay reprobates, nay dickheads. Could you introduce (laughs) yourself and since it's still very early in the year, Tell me and the lovely listeners out there in podcast land what your favourite film that you watched in 2022 was. Hmm, nope. Which is to say, Craig here, my favourite film of 2022 was Jordan Peele's Nope. That's a bally good pick. Hello, Lord Manly Supreme here. And my favourite film of 2022 was probably also Nope, but... I'm struggling. There's two. <laughs> the other one is actually from 2021, but I saw it in the New Year holiday of 2022. Yeah. And it was Dune. Mm. Oh, yeah. Look forward to part two with uh, Christopher Walken as the Emperor. It's going to be amazing. Mm. Hello, it's Adam here. My favourite film from 2022 was similarly a film from 2021, and it's called Blood Red Sky, and it's available on Netflix. And although it's not a flawless film i thought it had lots of lovely elements to it and i really enjoyed it what's it about like potassium and you'll have to watch the trailer to see calcium uh, i'm not telling you uh, I'm, t- I'm wondering what elements are involved that's all <laughs> Did you say it's a horror previously? It is a horror, yeah. It's a prequel to Vanilla Sky. <laughs> what is your favourite element, Adam? Uh, oh, Earth, probably. <laughs> Not an obtainium? No. Oof. It doesn't exist. Banter! <laughs> <laughs> My favourite film of 2022 was Decision to Leave. Uh, Park Chan-wook, the South Korean director's latest film, is quite Hitchcockian slash quite 90s sexy American thriller. I'm just thinking South Korean basic instinct. And I'm into it. Yeah. It has got elements of basic instinct in there. Oh, see? And elements of vertigo and shadow of a doubt. It's it's very good. It's a heady cocktail. Got any beaver in it? <laughs> and I would just want to say at this point, one, I have not seen every film released in 2022 and two i did like everything everywhere all at once so shut the fuck up stop complaining that it's not everybody's favorite film of the year yeah yeah people are uh, 
been very childish. It's really good. I loved it. I really loved it. But Nope was my favourite, so just deal with it. Did you love it? I did love it. Mm. All at once? <laughs> and everywhere? <laughs> was it a bit of a slow burner? <laughs> it's a really nice, lovely movie. Great Kihi Kwan performance, and obviously Michelle Yeoh as well. Would highly recommend it to everybody. Um, and I'd also highly recommend that the people who are standing it just calm down, for fuck's yes. sake. Please do. Super Craig on his one-man mission to stop all the people complaining. <laughs> Ironically complaining about it in the process. <laughs> oh, sweet irony. No, I'm, I'm complaining about them complaining about that, not complaining in general. Ah, uh, okay. It's not ironic at all. The Dark Knights, directed by Christopher Nolan, was released in 2008 to critical acclaim and a cool billion at the box office. But what else happened in that far-off fabled year I hear you squeak? Here we go. (laughs) Manchester United win their third European Cup as they beat Chelsea in the first All-British final, 6-5 on penalties after extra time. A worldwide recession enters its second year something that will loosely form an underdeveloped plot thread in The Dark Knight Rises. The Olympics take place in Beijing, China. The proton beam is circulated for the first time around the Large Hadron Collider by CERN in Switzerland. Brit Lewis Hamilton becomes the first black driver to win the Formula One racing championship. Israel invades the Gaza Strip, quote, in response to rockets being fired and weapons being smuggled. And an extra leap second is added to the year. The first since 2005. Exciting. I remember that as a bloody good second, that. Yeah, that's uh, probably the peak. Everything was downhill since that second. Yeah. At the movies, we also saw the return of an icon in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Hollywood prestige picture piss-taking in Tropic Thunder. The sad (laughs) reality of a faded 80s star in The Wrestler. The surprise hit comedy romance drama Slumdog Millionaire, Pixar's dystopian SF classic Wally, and the start of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk both see release. But the hit of the year was undoubtedly the second in Chris Nolan's Batrilogy The Dark Knight. Broadening the canvas from the preceding Batman Begins, TDK marches the Cape Crusader further into Nolan's allegory for the post-9-11 War on Terror. Batman faces off against his most iconic foe, the Joker, who is reimagined as some kind of kooky swamp monster and has difficult ethical choices to make. Should he break his one rule to not kill in order to defeat the Joker? Is it morally acceptable for bats to illegally surveil the city of Gotham to locate his quarry And how does one perform an enhanced interrogation if the prisoner is not afraid of pain or indeed of you? Filled with explosive, evocative imagery, The Dark Knight is still the high watermark in superhero cinema, to my mind. A sprawling crime epic taking in City Hall, the DA's office, the Gotham Mafia, high society soirees, and in one sequence, visiting Hong Kong for the first time. Making many critics' top 10 film of the year lists, its fans include Steven Spielberg and this guy, and deservedly won Heath Ledger many posthumous awards for his chilling portrayal of the Joker. 
Now then, fellas, say what you like about Christopher Nolan. It's back! Hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's an accomplished director, but he's a highfalutin snob. <laughs> mixing the audio for his most recent outings specifically so that it's only audible in the highest end screens and all of us commoners in our regular cinemas can't hear the fucking dialogue <laughs> so you can shove that up his hub. Do you know what I had to do with Tenet in the end to decipher the dialogue at home? Subtitles? Uh, ear trumpet. Learn to lip read? <laughs> <laughs> Not too far off. My Blu-ray player is my PS5 uh, so I've had to use headphones on the uh, controller in order uh, to be able to hear it. It's the, literally the only way. I haven't bothered with it. Well, that's nothing against Christopher Nolan in general. No, I'm a big fan of his. It's just I can't be asked with it. <laughs> yeah, right from, from a Memento, he's made films that have been real standouts. The Prestige is one of the highlights for me. I fucking love The Prestige. Yeah, I like mm. The Prestige as well. But um, I haven't watched Tenet yet either. I'm just waiting for the right time. I keep spying it and going... Oh, is it today, is today the day? And then I pass it by and go, no. I tried to watch it, I just wasn't really into it. Been a fan of his forever, though. I remember pretty much as soon as Memento kind of hit, me and Gaz watched uh, Following, which was really good. And it had a Batman poster in it, didn't it? And uh, yeah. even then, I was thinking, wonder if he'll ever do a Batman film. And sure enough. Lo and behold... <laughs> I didn't realise he made the prestige in between Batman Begins and Dark Knight mm. that's a pretty mm. uh, interesting way to do it I think if I remember rightly it came out the year after Batman Begins as well it did 2006 an amazing turnaround for a film of such quality yeah it must have gone out of filming one right into the other and been editing Batman at the same time and scripting the Dark Knight on the set of the prestige mm. uh, obviously christian bell's the lead in the prestige so they they were working together on that at the same time yeah so what does everybody think of the actual film we're discussing the dark knight it's Ooh. still holds up it's fantastic mm. what was that ooh about you got something divisive to say i was just gonna say ooh, it's a good film <laughs> oh you're nicer than my wife <laughs> oh you're nicer than tim burton <laughs> i agree with what you said guys it's it's still the best superhero film out there yeah by a long yeah. way yeah in yeah. many ways it's not a superhero film right it doesn't have any of the trappings of the other superhero films it doesn't have any superpowers for one it's it's very grounded and it's uh it takes an approach to the characters markedly different from either tim burton or Zack snyder or uh, even the 60s batman that we previously covered i mean it is closer to that in many ways what the 60s one yeah it does have the same bomb problem <laughs> some days you just can't get rid of a bomb <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a stunning piece of, of filmmaking irrespective of the source material. It still has some third act problems, but not as bad as Batman Begins did. You know, the, the Two-Face thing is a little bit underbaked. Going into watching Dark Knight, my thing was, I held it in such esteem that I was looking for things to not like about it, which uh, didn't fill a page. So hats off to everybody involved. For me, I 
famously don't watch superhero films and this is probably the reason it's so good i just don't feel i need to watch anymore um, <laughs> it's kind of it's almost perfected it for me the movie takes such an emotional toll tense scene after tense scene and it's such a kind of roller coaster all the way through that i also think you know it, it's i don't want to go through that every time i watch a film it's quite harrowing at, at points um which is probably another reason i i don't i don't watch superhero films but very pointedly the the screenplay makes a note of the fact that he's not a hero and that his actions are something more and even in batman begins it wasn't it was not about him being a hero it was about him being a, a symbol and creating a legacy and this film really delivers on on that yeah i suppose that's what i mean i mean it it takes the idea of a superhero film and it does so much more with it that like just a, a straight up superhero film doesn't interest me as much anymore i suppose christopher nolan in the the sort of pre-publicity uh for the film would often bring up michael mann's heat yeah obviously in terms of the the plot and characters and, and so forth it's it's very different but that kind of crime epic feel is very much what you what you get in this film that's what i was going to say before the the opening scene is so reminiscent of heat yeah. uh even you know visually i forgot how strong that opening sequence was that was one of the first things though where i noted something that i didn't love about it i don't know if it's the dialogue or the way that the goon actors deliver it but that scene feels really out of place to me like all the guys talking about the heist and they saying three of a kind shit like that and i just mm. was kind of wincing at it it didn't feel as believable as the rest of the film didn't they film that first and then they released just the just the heist like yeah. months before yeah yeah and I, I can't remember what film it was attached to but it, it was in imax cinemas wasn't it yeah but it very quickly got put on youtube yeah yeah i very quickly watched it on youtube <laughs> so did i i kind of wished i hadn't it was so clearly made for imax mm. yeah i love that, that zipline stunt yeah it's ace the stunts i suppose by the standards of 2022 aren't necessarily what you'd call the most spectacular but i think they're brilliant that my favorite stunt in the film is the joker sliding down that pyramid of money just like jesus Amazing. christ that Amazing. looks like it would really hurt <laughs> yeah you get some friction burns on your purple bum wouldn't you <laughs> the truck flip has become a cliche stunt since but the truck flip in this is fucking incredible never seen anything like that at the time and uh, it still still holds her. And then when the Batmobile busts through that wall, I forgot how iconic that was. Straight away, I was hooked. And yeah, from there on in, I was just every minute of it. It's got so many sequences where you think you could probably almost end the film after these fairly big sequences. And you think he could probably stop there. But he doesn't, he carries it on and there's a little link of, say, five or ten minutes and there's something else. You can't tear yourself away. And I was really tired. I think I watched it on Thursday night. I was I was knackered. Mm. And I just carried on watching it because I just couldn't drag myself away. Yeah, it's packed with set pieces. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's just so many. And one of my favourite bits was, like, the Skyhook stuff and the way it incorporates yeah. like, actual in te technology, actual stuff like Skyhook. It was a real thing yeah. and things like that. It's brilliant. Yeah, that whole Hong Kong sequence, amazing. It's cool. 
But can you imagine how fast that would be, being dragged away by that skyhook? Yeah, the torque yeah. on it, just mm. tearing your spine in half as it mm. drags you out. The whiplash mm. on your neck. <laughs> yeah. the, there must mm. be something to compensate yeah. for that, I guess. There must be some give mm. in the, yeah, in the, the line. Yeah, like a bungee cord. Yeah, maybe. That's crazy. Amazing, though. One thing I'd want to say about the opening, people talk about, obviously, Heath Ledger's Oscar-winning performance a lot. But what I don't hear them talking about a lot is just particularly... In the opening sequence, before he delivers any dialogue, his physical performance, mm. just when he's got that clown mask on and the way he moves, everything about it is kind of alien and it's so jokerish. The performance in general, but particularly in that opening scene, I think it's very genuinely funny. Yes. For me, he's the first Joker who's genuinely funny and he's also genuinely scary. Mm. It's just yeah. the complete package. No offence to Cesar Romero, but he was not funny. No. <laughs> Everything around him was. He tried to be. He tried to be. He tried really hard to be. Did you know that um, Jack Nicholson was livid that he didn't get offered yeah. to reprise his role? Yeah. yeah. Really? How would that have worked? He clearly didn't understand what was happening with the continuity. No. no. I was reading his quotes, and it wasn't just like, I'm annoyed. He just went into it, and he said furious in this paragraph of stuff about four times. He goes, really, the only word for it is furious. What? But then, before he passed away, Jack Nicholson did speak to Heath Ledger, and he said they had a, a wonderful conversation about the character and how much fun it was to play. We had a wonderful conversation. <laughs> Please don't print in the newspapers that I got mad. <laughs> he, he had made peace with the fact that, uh, yeah, it was a, a different universe to, to Tim Burton's version. I love everything about uh, Ledger's performance. Every choice he made was so great. And the, doing the voice, which uh, you probably know is Tom Waits. Mm, yeah. It just fits the Joker so well. The thing about his performance for me is I literally do not see Heath Ledger at all to the point where the no. scene where he hasn't got the makeup on, I always find incredibly jarring because he's just completely the character. There's there's no Heath Ledger in there. It's transformative. Yeah, that the bit when he's in the crowd as the, the rifleman. Yeah, during uh, yeah. Commissioner Loeb's funeral. You know, he's uh, he's got that like tick where he's... Licking his lips. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. got like a, it's the prosthetic on his face, and mm. he had to keep licking it to keep it on, and then he just incorporated that into his. Oh, into really? his thing. oh is that right? Yeah. That's yeah. The thing, I was yeah. just going to mention the same thing. I think he's yeah. so consistent with it. Yeah. It doesn't feel big. No. It's mm. quite a subtle tick. Not overdone. And so it's, it really sells the character. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. I didn't look into it this time, but I thought I remembered him saying that he was doing it uh, to make it appear that he was always thirsty. Mm. Like he didn't have time to stop yeah. and hydrate because he's like a mad dog. That's like um, when they invade the Harvey Dent fundraiser. That's like one of the first things he does is pick up some wine and down it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what do we think of Maggie Gyllenhaal's being recast as Rachel Dawes? Katie Holmes played her in the first movie. Yeah. Ah, that's yeah, right, yeah. I think she, she fits like hand in glove myself. Yeah. Particu particularly during that scene when Heath Ledger's just like squeezing her face and she's like trying to pull away. She's not making eye contact with him. And the other standout scene for me is the scene in the abandoned warehouse where herself and Harvey Dent are about mm. to be exploded and it's her realisation that she's about to die. 
and she just like closes her eyes and she says it's okay. But don't you think? I think she doesn't think she's about to die. I think she genuinely thinks that someone's coming for her because it's like the mm. last thing she's about to say to him when she, you know, mm. vaporizes. Well, she can see the timer though. Yeah, maybe she can't count. Um, I don't totally agree. I think her performance is brilliant, and I think those scenes you talked about are great. But where I find her jarring is mm. in her first few scenes. I think she's just a bit too playful. Living in Gotham, the way that Katie Holmes plays it is she's just constantly harrowed. And I know that the scene where Harvey then takes out the guy in court is is fun. But I just feel like her reaction to it and she's always a little bit fun and, and flirtatious with her dialogue and it just felt a little bit jarring to me. But apart from that, I think she's, you know, she's a brilliant actor. Mm. Loved seeing her in other stuff like Donnie Darko and Secretary. I think she's really good. Do you want a bit of a Gyllenhaal triv? Oh, come on. Always. Sister of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. If, uh, Ooh, Maggie, if you were Maggie oh, Gyllenhaal. Jake. There's a similarity in that name. Yeah. Jake who? Maggie, <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal's husband is Peter Sarsgaard, who played oh, yeah. DA Jill Coulson in The Batman this yeah. year, and yeah. both of them were killed in an explosion. Yeah. When? When did this happen? She's <laughs> dead. <laughs> no, you fool, they're characters. Oh. Anyway, back to Maggie's performance. I think she was excellent. I think Katie Holmes played it a tad too fearful. And that's Maybe. probably I would, I would say that that was probably feedback they got about the, the first film, that that was a bit grating, which mm. is why they, why they gave her a bit more of a backbone. Fear's kind of the theme of the first film, so maybe that was... Well, I'm sure it was intentional. Yeah. I'd say this to Katie Holmes. Shoo. It's, it's a great ensemble cast in general, though, this film. Right. I would go as far as to say it's the best ensemble cast since Mars Attacks. Yeah. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, particularly during that that final scene. Aaron Eckhart, I think, is tremendous. I don't like yeah. Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. What? I actually, yeah, I really he's like amazing. him. I think he's brilliant. I really like him. He's, yeah. he's my, yeah. uh, my, well, second favourite character. He's like your big, like, 1950s clean-cut movie star, isn't he? Mm. With his dimpled chin and his sweat-back yeah. hair. I know that he's meant to be a bit like this, and this is more about me than him, but I find him a bit bland. And the reason that I've, I'm saying it's more about me than him is I grew up on the Batman animated series where Harvey then is already a psychopath before he becomes Two-Face, and you've got that big bad Harv dichotomy character there. And even Harvey, as the nice version of Harvey, isn't really a nice guy. And I just find him in this a bit bland, and that's probably not his fault again. It's not that his performance is bad, his performance is great. I just think on probably on paper the character isn't quite the Two-Face that I know. And when he has the transition into Two-Face... He he seems like angry and shit. He doesn't seem like a psycho. He just seems like a cunt. I think <laughs> what they go for with Harvey Two Face at the end there is he's more suicidal than anything. He's like this, this is the end. Yeah, Every, everybody's going right. down uh, with me because he says um, yeah. there is no escaping this, doesn't he? When they're setting up the perimeter. 
But I think one of my favourite lines in, in the film is from him, is sort of his desperation, how broken he is at the end by what's happened to him and Rachel, is, is when he says to uh, Batman and Gordon, we were trying to be decent men in an indecent time. I think that's quite a, mm. quite a heartbreaking mm. line. Yeah, I think that's great. And if I'd come to this mm. film with no background of Batman and, and Two-Face, I wouldn't have had any other feelings about it other than, yeah, it's a fantastic performance mm. and a well-drawn-out character. But, yeah, just because of my fandom of a different interpretation and a more comic book interpretation of Two-Face, I didn't quite get on with it. I just found it a bit bland. So did you love the Tommy Lee Jones version? <laughs> Fucking awful. <laughs> sure is. Absolutely dire. I don't know yeah. what he thought he was playing. He's, he's basically just playing the Joker, isn't he? Yeah, I think he he wanted the Joker role and probably saw that and that was his, as far as his knowledge of it went. Mm. It's a shame because when he does come to stuff and he doesn't have a fucking high horse approach to it like men in black i think he's brilliant in that high horse approach he, he's uh, like an army general in captain america the first avenger isn't he right yeah and months before it came out a quote from him that i saw talking about it he said uh, it's the kind of role you've seen a million times before in a million movies <laughs> and i was like well yeah, yeah. something to look forward to then <laughs> intentionally though i think that that is what they were going for with that isn't it they wanted it to be kind of uh, nostalgic for, for yeah, stuff like yeah but it, it's Indiana still Jones quite and... withering isn't it and <laughs> i'll never understand why they didn't let billy d williams carry on being harvey dent tim burton's original plan was for his third batman film to be two-face yeah and they they were close to scripting it, I think he says in in the documentary on the DVD. And then he just suddenly said to the executive that he was in the room with, he noticed that they were basically not paying attention. He said, "You don't want me to direct the third one, do you?" And they were like, "No." <laughs> so <we left. laughs> Uh, incidentally, um, apparently Christopher Nolan has said if he knew he was going to make another Batman film. He wouldn't have killed mm. off Harvey Dent. I don't know how true that is. Oh, uh, it wasn't always conceived as a trilogy. No. Well, he, well, his philosophy for for doing the Batman films was always we don't hold anything back. We put everything into this current mm. one. Mm. Mm. So I, he knew that he he wanted to do the Joker and Two Face. I think so. He wanted to sort of close mm. it out in case they didn't make the third one. Because Batman mm. Begins wasn't yeah. a massive hit. It did well on home video, but the, the box mm. office wasn't anything special. But then The Dark Knight just caught something in the, mm. the zeitgeist and obviously Heath Ledger passing away kind of made it mm. almost legendary before it even came out. And then it, those yeah. trailers yeah. came out and it was like, this actually looks like it's going to be quite special. And it was. Cinema was empty as fuck when we went to see it, wasn't it? Uh, it reminded me of when we went to see The Matrix. I think we were like one of, or two of, like sort of twenty people in the screen. Crazy. Well, I think I think sort of the the evening screens were busy because I, I saw it twice with you, Craig. I think, and then I saw it with yeah. my wife uh, a couple of weeks after our, our first child was born. We went in the evening, and we had to yeah. park like about a mile away because the car park was rammed. Every screen was full, so mm. I think possibly there was quite a lot of word of mouth as well yeah yeah probably did your child survive that uh be left alone for three hours <laughs> had to speaking of your child we haven't asked you for many episodes now if he watched it and what yeah. he thought of it yeah dylan loves the dark knight uh we only yeah. watched it today 
because it's the film that I would uh, say I'm closest to knowing off by heart. So I thought I don't need to make notes. Mm. I'll just watch it before we record. <laughs> Fair enough. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he is a fan of The Dark Knight very much. So yeah, I thought he might be. I was going to say before, my favourite piece of casting in this has got to be Gary Oldman. He's perfect Gordon. Mm. A role made for him, him made for the role. Couldn't imagine anyone doing it better. Simpatico. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. He's slightly comic relief in Batman Begins, isn't he? And they they rein that all the way back to um, where where it should be um, for for Mm. this one. Um, Sort of the the high moral ground, one good cop in the city, but he's flawed at the same time. The lying to his his wife uh, faking his own death that's that's not a particularly yeah. good thing to do <laughs> yeah it's only that bit where he gets in the batmobile and he he's kind of uh, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> all my problems with batman begins are in the third act but let's not get into that yeah no. <laughs> uh, what do you think of christian bale's performance uh, people make a lot of his voice and everything but i think it's fine apart from when he's shouting i think uh i like the shout uh, he where are they? I'm the word hockey pants. <laughs> That's my favourite line. I'm the word hockey pants. <laughs> I think he feels yeah. kind of outshone by his co-stars, but I think he does a lot with a little. I think he's very, I do very too. good. Yeah. He's like the rock at the centre of it, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. My favourite moment of his, it's right after he crashes his Lamborghini to save Reese, mm. and he's saying to Gordon like oh what happened I, I didn't who, who did I save but then he looks up at Reese and the face that he looks up with it's kind of similar to what Anne Hathaway does as Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises he puts on two performances sometimes more because he's playing a role within a role like he's yeah, playing yeah, Batman exactly. and Batman is playing Bruce Wayne mm. and he just turns on, on a dime as the phrase goes and uh Everything about the the look that he gives to Reese at that moment is so loaded. I think his physical performance as well, and it has to be because he's under so much suit most of the time, right? But yeah, yeah, I, I think that he's uh, he's fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to call it out to give some props, and I think especially yeah, that that scene where he's he's lying about running the red light. Yeah. yeah, I think there's some really lovely touches all the way through the film of him hiding his true identity, like even right down to where he tips the champagne off the balcony. Yeah, so he's got yeah. the empty glass. I mean, it's just it's not called out, it's not mentioned, but it's there, mm. and it's yeah, it's really nicely done. That's another great bit for him is when he comes in and gives the toast for Harvey. He starts off yeah. as such a, like a shit. Yeah, he's always ragging on Harvey, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, but when he he turns in the middle of that speech and becomes earnest. Like mm. you can feel the tension in the room change, and it's like within the same line of dialogue, he shifts between those two modes. That leads into the first sequence that just gave me goosebumps the first time seeing it when Batman just suddenly appears there uh, by the Joker and just twats him. I was like, oh, here we go. What about that line? <laughs> you got a little fight in you. I like that. You're going to love me. Yeah. yeah, that's so There's good. There's so many absolutely iconic scorched into my mind lines in this film i've got a very long list yeah <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stranger is genius that's neat shit isn't it oh is it yeah well that's neat shit <laughs> <laughs> there's some i mean the, the dialogue throughout was excellent um yeah i think towards the beginning they, they're talking to harvey dent i forget who it is 
I, it might be it might be uh, Gary Oldman's character, uh, Jim Gordon, and he says to Harvey Dent, "We all know you're Gotham's White Knight," and it's just it's really it's kind of almost underplayed, and it it's it's kind of it, it sounds off the cuff, and, and then you kind of realise obviously it's a it's a nice bit of foreshadowing for what comes later. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really nice storytelling. Their explanation for why he's called Two Face is great as well. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. There's two foreshadowings. He calls him the White Knight, and then he just says, "Well, I either got a different name for me down at the MCU." Yeah. yeah. But I wouldn't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some great comedy dialogue in it as well. Two of them in the same scene from the Joker. Here's my card. And it's just a joke <laughs> of playing cards. It's great. Yeah. But my yeah. my favourite thing that he says is when he refers to Lau as the television. As for the television's <laughs> plan. <laughs> he's so good in that. And just just the laugh as he's coming in, it's like he's taking the piss out of himself. <laughs> like yeah. He can't even be yeah. arsed doing a laugh. Crazy. And saying the, the suit's not cheap, you should know you paid for it. <laughs> yeah, that's like a bit bitchy, isn't it? <laughs> and then another one from Lucius Fox when uh, he's telling him how the sonar system works mm. and fails yeah. about to say like a bat and he goes submarine like a submarine <laughs> <laughs> I liked it in the, in the scene we mentioned before at the party the Joker has Rachel at the window and uh, goes uh, let her go very poor choice of words <laughs> one of the best written sequences in it it's got to be Alfred's Burma story where he basically explains who the Joker is like, that's fucking great yeah it's a really well written screenplay got got to hand it off to Jonathan and Christopher Nolan great performance from Michael Caine as well in this one given a, given a lot more yeah. this time around a lot more than in Dark Knight Rises yeah as well. he's a bit of a badass as it turns out Alfred isn't he <laughs> before I was a butler I was a army commander in the army <laughs> You sound like Parker. <laughs> Very good, ma'am. <laughs> you any favourite lines, Turner? Yes. Uh, madness, as you know, is a lot like gravity. All it takes is a little push. Mm. Nice. Yeah. It's a great final line, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then he's laughing absolutely manically, just yeah. swinging around, flailing. Do you want some mare trivia, Turner? Some mare trivia? Mare trivia. Mare trivia. Nesta Carbonell, who plays the mare yeah. in uh, Dark Knight, in the first Tick live-action series, played a character called Batmanuel, mm. ah. who was a variation of the Tick character Deflader Mouse, who ah. was uh, the Batman character. <laughs> Very good. That's nice triv. Oh, that's a nice <laughs> triv right there. <laughs> you got some small roles filled by great performers as well. Keith Sarabaka from yeah. uh, Angel yes. as the Harvey Bullock-style Mm-hmm. Uh, much better than the Harvey Bullock we got in the first movie, I almost mm-hmm. say. Although I really like that, it just wasn't Harvey Bullock, you know. Yeah. And David Dust Malkian in uh, yeah early role for him. the guy that Harvey Dent interrogates with flipping the coin. Yeah. Also Michael Jai White as Gamble, who's a sort of yeah. big action movie superstar. He was Spawn, right? Yeah. And um, Tiny Lister, who is the prisoner on the boat who throws the detonator out of the window who wrestling fans might remember as Zeus, uh, who teamed with Macho Man Randy Savage. In the Hulk Hogan movie. Yeah, in No Holds Barred as well. Uh, passed away recently, I think. A moment so perfect when he tosses the detonator out of the window. Mm. Mm. The variation on the Joker theme during the last sort of minute of that sequence where 
both boats are debating whether to blow the other one up it just it brings the tension to just an amazing boil the score is superb from oh yeah uh, it's credited to Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard but I think it's James Newton Howard's credit is just holdovers from the Batman Begins themes that were carried over yeah it's kind of the same theme but really built on right yeah embellished and, and built on and that Joker theme is just genius just to have the one note seeming to go up in pitch constantly and as soon as it starts it usually starts before you know that the joke is going to be around and just as soon as you hear it you're like oh here we go here we go <laughs> something bad's about to happen yeah <laughs> if i got a couple of minor criticisms slash questions so one of them would be when he kills gamble mm. it doesn't like read very well right like he's killed him he's yeah. got the knife in his mouth and in then he's mouth. dead yeah. like what what kills him the only thing I can assume is he slits his throat. Yeah, it's it, it's like um, you know when you used to back when we were kids, they used to cut stuff for TV, didn't they? Edit stuff for TV. Yeah. And they they cut like a few seconds of something, and then that's what it felt like to me. It did feel a bit like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if it was shot in a different way, it'd be more definitive, I think. Um, yeah. So I totally yeah, totally yeah. agree on that one. Obviously, it's the. The restrictions of the certificate that they wanted to, to get the film in front mm. of as many people as they could. The the bank heist at the start as well is is just completely bloodless. People getting shot left, right, and centre mm. with shotguns right. and machine guns, and there's not no yeah. blood sprays or anything. Um, yeah, no, it is uh, slightly incongruous. Joker's plot to get caught is ridiculously circuitous, isn't it? Yeah, a lot yeah. of stuff has to go right for that to work. It requires him to have a godlike foreknowledge of events. <laughs> yeah. But then the, the big one for me is, doesn't Batman choose to save Rachel based on the address the Joker gives him? Yes. Yeah, yeah he purposely switches them, right? Yeah, yeah the Joker switches them yeah. to fuck with him. So in that yeah. case, so Joker's whole plan there, you're going to have to play my little game and you have to break your one rule. Actually, he wins that, right? Because psychologically, Batman does what Joker wants him to do, which is decide to sacrifice Harvey to save Rachel. So hasn't he already won at that point, psychologically? He could make that argument, definitely. I personally would define him saying you've got to break your one rule as you're going to have to kill me. And then he wouldn't have been able to say either of them, though, because he wouldn't have had the either address. Yeah. So I don't get that. No, it's, I guess it's slightly muddled, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For all that this movie is very grounded and has a lot of realism in it. How does Harvey walk around with half a face? Like, surely he would die of shock and or infection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's I a skull. It's, some of the, the wound was cauterised, wasn't it? Because it was burnt and stuff. So, uh, And then he okay. does have that mesh on it to begin with, so I think it does, mm. it does protect from infection a little bit, and you can see it's, like, flaked off here and there. Yeah, yeah, but then when that comes off, I was like, well, what's what's protecting it now? Mm, I didn't, didn't yeah. quite understand. Uh, maybe if he'd lived for a bit longer, he might have got infection. That's a good point, actually. He doesn't yeah. live very long, does he? Yeah. I don't know if, if anybody noticed, there's also quite a small detail where bits of his face, the, the burnt half, are yes. sort of slowly... Flaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, by, yeah, by yeah I remember scene, that, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. see quite a lot of just the bone on uh, his chin, which wasn't there. It, initially it's actually his that whole effect of his face that's one bit of cgi where i was like it's a really good decision to use that because you can see that there's something missing and it's just before you see the full you know the 
the gross yeah. off of his face as Peter Griffin says. Mm. Um, <laughs> 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 I just seen the gross off of your face. It's just like you can see something caved in. It's brilliant. Really yeah. Like yeah, and you you know you've seen him on fire, so you know it's coming. Yeah, it's amazing. And I like, and I I think it still holds up quite well as well. I think the CGI is just yeah, it looks really quite good. basic in a way. They've just gone, look, it's burnt. Here's his eyeball. Just move that around a little bit and his teeth are there and stuff. It's great. Augmented CGI always works better than full-blown CGI, doesn't it? Like, Forrest mm. Gump still looks good. Lieutenant Dan's legs mm. are just like blue stockings and that still looks mm. completely 100% believable to me. Jurassic Park yeah. still looks pretty good as well. Jurassic Park still looks great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Considering uh, he makes quite a lot of noise about not using CGI, there's more mm. CGI in Dark Knight than I thought there was. One mm. thing I only learned this year is CGI is when the Batpod, the bike thing, um, drives up the wall and spins around. That's completely CGI. Yeah. <laughs> How else would they have done that? <laughs> Could have been stop motion. Well, no, I thought they'd just driven a the bike thing up the wall and sped up the footage. Nah, come on. Use some cables uh, and shit. <laughs> yeah, they could have done that, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Quick question. Mm-hmm. How weird would it feel having a hole in your cheek and having the air touching your teeth from the side? Oh, yeah, it'd be like... <sighs> oh, it'd be yeah. awful. They, they say he's like refusing pain medication and stuff, so yeah. he, I guess he's not feeling a hell of a lot through that side of his face. He's on the it? whiskey, though, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Does it nice. pour out? Like a fucking watering can. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it dribbles yeah. out a little bit, eh, doesn't it? He has to wipe it off his uh, chin. Oh, can <laughs> yeah. you imagine the pain on that? Stinging. Nasty. <laughs> the scene before this, Rachel says to Bruce, if he gives himself up, they won't be allowed to be together. And he's kind of hanging up his Batman cape or whatever. But it cuts to the scene of him with his like little bat shuriken put in the box yeah. it felt like the equivalent of you know put your gun away hanging up yeah. your badge yeah. he's putting yeah. his bat shuriken yeah, neatly away it's amazing it yeah. made me laugh <laughs> just hanging up the old bat shuriken <laughs> we'll be needing this again it was really nice to see Killian Murphy back only for a brief glimpse yeah, yeah. he comes back again for Dark Knight Rises and it's just mm. a nice bit of continuity yeah. which I really appreciate obviously it's not always easy to do that with people's uh, scheduling Mm-hmm. And I have to say, as a fan of action movie car chases, I think this movie has probably my favourite one ever in it. It's so good. When they go under the, the street, fucking incredible. Yeah. See, that yeah. was my biggest... I mean, I didn't have many problems with the movie, but then... Why didn't they just drive to the other side? Yeah, it's like there's <laughs> all, the, all the cars are stuck there. Yeah, and I was just like... Yeah, the, the empty road. Surely, if a, a big truck's on fire in the middle of the road and you're driving a, <laughs> like a, a really high-value prisoner, I was like, fuck's sake. But still, yeah. I love it. It's brilliant. Like I, I totally agree. It yeah. Is, uh, yeah. One of, it is a huge highlight of the but, film. Yeah, so. it's the rationale. I, it might be better if they didn't call it out, mm. you know, if they didn't say, like, oh, if we go down here, we'll be sitting ducks. Yeah. If they go, oh, this will be all right, we'll just go down here. Then it kind of, at least, it would have made sense logically. Yeah. And that, that guy that's the passenger sitting next to when it, um, Gordon is revealed as the, yeah. the driver, he's like, oh, hope you know your ship, pal, and all this kind of stuff. Whoa, no, it's a fucking rocket launcher. Uh, all that kind of stuff. I think all that is to make you think that the driver is going to be one of Joker's uh, games, yeah. not Gordon. Yeah. yeah. But what... What's the point in all those SWAT guys in the back as well? Because they don't actually do anything, do they? They just sit in the back and get blown up. 
Like Joker has his way. He just he, they break the the bloody vans with the with the guns and stuff like that, and then they they don't actually do anything. So uh, anyway, but I still love to see the whole sequence. Anyway, it's great. My absolute favourite bit though is um, Gotham City Hospital getting blown up. Love it. Did I misremember this, or you know when he's twatting the detonator? Is that yeah. improvised because it didn't blow up on time? Because I'm sure I heard that somewhere, but then I thought... I can't quite I remember. I didn't see anything. It feels impossible because of the yeah. way the tracking shot is done yeah, when no, it falls to I, the bus. I think that is intentional. On the extras on the, the DVD, they also... I'm not quite sure they did it without being seen. There's a camera that follows him onto the bus, the Joker. And yeah. inside the bus driving off and you see the explosion through the window and Heath Ledger mm. never flinches or like looks or anything even for like a split second. It's amazing. Mm. Just the concentration. Yeah. I love the explosions and I just love his reaction as he's coming out and doing all that and banging it and, and brilliant. I yeah. just love it. That's my, that's my favourite. his feet bit. like yeah. a penguin. Yeah, yeah the, great, game, yeah. the way he walks yeah. is funny. It's great. <laughs> One other question that I've always wondered about in the Scarecrow scene do you think Christian Bell's face looks really weird? Like he's really tanned. He kind of looks like how Jack Napier looks in the Burton Batman when he puts the makeup over the white face. He was on the sunbeds and then the bat light came out and he was like, oh, fucking hell, rolled out. <laughs> he's quite pouty at times in the bat suit in this one, Christian. Yeah, yeah I think it's to, to try and... Uh disguise himself a bit more so just in case people go oh he's got the same lips as bruce wayne this black guy can't be bruce wayne he looks like he's got a duck's bill he's a duck billed batipus (laughs) (laughs) also it's like really molded to his face isn't it so it's probably pushing his face out a bit (laughs) he's requested that from uh from morgan freeman lucius i want something that pushes my lips out well mr wayne if i Tighten in the mask here and there. You should have duckbill lips by the end of the day. The sequence with Fox when he's showing him the new gadgets is very Bond, isn't it? When the, you know, when the yes. bat come out of the arm. It's one of these films that does Bond better than Bond. He's a big Bond fan, Chris Nolan. He'll probably get around to doing one at one point, won't he? Hopefully. I mean, it's the next logical thing for him, mm. right? But he'd have to drop his uh, snobbery about the IMAX for this because Bond's too popular to have a weird mix and the producers wouldn't have it well the the thing i read i don't know how true it is is after oppenheimer he wants to do a horror film how true that is Ooh. i don't don't know it's the internet so it may be a little bit of bollocks <laughs> i say um one final thing actually about the screenplay the end speech that gordon gives that leads to the title is so good yeah it's very much a movie piece of dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. It's... His son would just be like, what? I've just finished speaking. What What the hell are you saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like tugging on his coat and he's just like looking into the middle distance delivering his yeah. little monologue. <laughs> Mom, Dad's having a stroke. <laughs> did everybody think of the Joker's plan? In short, it went very well. (laughs) (laughs) I must say, I am a great admirer of his plan. 
<laughs> that was my uh, Obi-Wan from Revenge of the Sith win. Anakin misses the meeting about how the war's going. Like I said, it's ridiculously circuitous, and like you said, it demands a godlike awareness of situations he can't possibly be prescient of. Mm. But it's really fun, and it's really clever. I like him getting caught on purpose. I, I like his meeting with the, the mob guys and the way that he sets up everything that he confronts them with because obviously he doesn't, doesn't actually care about dealing with them at all. He just wants to burn loads of money in front of them for a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely wants to kill Gamble. He fucking hates Gamble. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> he says he's crazy, isn't it? That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. That really pisses him off, doesn't it? He's glaring at him the entire rest of the scene. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm not saying... I sympathise with his motives or anything. But some of the stuff that he says about, you know, a busload of soldiers die, no one cares, it's all part of the plan. You can understand why he would become deranged in the face of the world around him. Have you heard or read the theory that he is a soldier and he's been let down by America and it explains why he's such a good planner, why he's a good shot with the gun, why he knows interrogation techniques oh, is that he's he's a former soldier and that's how he got scarred I did see quite a few things when I was googling like the Joker and stuff and I was like oh this is quite a rabbit hole I could probably go down here Yeah, but it's interesting to hear that that, it's, that, that does kind of make sense for his character and stuff, it'd be great yeah. to see um, obviously, that there was like a Joker, the Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix, and that's like a, a slightly different take on it, isn't it? That he's just a a, be- a beaten man, isn't he, sort of thing. Just a Martin Scorsese uh, fan letter. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. Well, <laughs> what did you think of the Joker's plan, Adam? Like all um, the villain, a lot of these big super villains' plans are in- incredibly clever but not to the point where he's thought about it too long. He sort of, it seems to sort of gel quite well. And I can just imagine being Batman and, and just being like, how the fuck does he keep getting the better of me? And and how do they keep, you know, he just keeps one up in him for a while, doesn't he? And then right at the last minute, just when you think he's going to, it's going to go his way, that's when he goes, ha ha, you fucking... You thought that humanity was like this, and it's not not quite true, and that's when it all falls apart. That's the key, isn't it? I think the reason he's ahead of him the whole time is what Alfred says to him that he doesn't understand his foe mm. until Alfred explains to him who he is, and yeah. then he realizes what his mindset is. Yeah, and that's how he's able to sort of allow him to defeat himself mm. because Batman believes in the people of Gotham mm. in a way that nobody else does. But it's kind of coincidence, isn't it, that the, those those two boats don't decide to blow it, blow each other up, or, or there's there's a strong know, enough, I I think... strong enough person on each one to say no, or well, there's one one saying no, and the other one's not strong enough to do it, and then eventually it just goes, doesn't it? It's quite. I'd like to think that's how it would play out in most scenarios. I think I believe in in people that way. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I personally. I sure as hell wouldn't do it. I wouldn't no, be the person to no, blow up the other boat. No, I wouldn't either. But I can imagine there's there's quite. A f- I I I drive around uh, UK and Europe quite a bit. So 
when you see people and how they drive, you could probably understand they're quite suicidal that way. So I think, well, there's probably people that would push that detonator. Yes, uh, life is pretty cheap to those sorts, Turner. That's homicidal, not suicidal. Sorry, beg your pardon. (laughs) The way they drive is suicidal because they're they're playing with their, their own lives. Uh, suicidal, homicidal, yeah. I guess. Murder, yeah, murder, homicide, genocidal. But that, that hope that that, that part gives, where where you know you mm. get the the two boats not blowing each other up. If the film didn't have that, yeah, I, I don't th- think I'd be able to handle it. It tipped me over the edge. Do you know what it reminded me a little bit of? Is the bit where uh, in Spider Man where they start throwing stuff at the Green Goblin off the Brooklyn Bridge? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is like that. <laughs> Yeah. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I don't know, do you know what I mean? That was added in response to 9-11, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know, yeah. but it was kind of it was kind of like that moment where they go, oh, you know, not, not everybody's a shit, when really most people... Yeah, <laughs> and, and it needed that, the film, because it, it takes some, takes you to some dark places, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. What do you think of yeah. the, the Joker's plan yeah. in terms of actually being planned? Because he may, he goes to quite great lengths to make it look like he's he's just doing everything on a whim almost. He says he hates schemers, but he's schemed to fuck, isn't he? Really, it's yeah. definitely planned, right? <laughs> so he's a hypocrite when he tells Dent that he's just a dog chasing cars and he doesn't know what to do with him when he catches yeah. him. It's like, well, you you do, don't you? You've, you've planned for yeah. every eventuality. <laughs> he's just manipulating people. Pure manipulation. It's total manipulation. Yeah, hundred percent. He's got. He's he, you know this is his vision. His vision is chaos, but to get to that chaos, he has to organise, <laughs> yeah. which isn't chaos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. so I'm giving it, for making it seem like it wasn't planned, but have planned pretty meticulously, I'm putting it right up there with the Candyman Ooh. on 12 floors of broccoli. Ooh. Large intake of breath. He almost mm. succeeded, and as Craig said earlier, there is an argument to say he did succeed, to a certain extent. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I'm putting it right at the top. 12 flocks of broccoli, mm. ladies and gentlemen. Beautiful. That's a meal. Apart from his own death, he kind of does get away once because the White Knight of Gotham is, is gone. Batman, yeah. his protector, is gone. And while mm-hmm. we don't know this until the following movie, that doesn't play out quite the way they hoped. So, mm. Mm. Uh, it's same from me, really. I think it's, it's a fantastic plan. Uh, contrivances of the the script aside, uh, he he basically succeeds in in everything that he wanted to do. Besides corrupting Batman, he he completely corrupts Dent, who was the actual mm. hope for Gotham. The only way it could have gone better is if Batman had just let him fall off the Pruitt Building at the end of the film. He's just laughing hysterically. He's like, "Yes, I did it!" And then he catches him, and he's like, "Ah, oh, damn it, I'm alive." <laughs> This is the part of the show where the panel of peril competes for the title of this week's most diabolical, and with that comes the reward of two mega points on our season two leaderboard, although I as host will only gain one point should I win, as I have the home advantage. In the Dark Knight, the Joker's plan changes quite a lot, doesn't it? As he says, he's like a dog chasing cars. Once he catches them, he doesn't know what to do with them. But the one evil scheme that we've decided to concentrate our collective efforts on is that the clown prince of crime wants to corrupt Batman's moral code. 
So, let's do this! <laughs> bringing that back, eh? Please don't bring it back again. Oh, it's staying. <laughs> <laughs> Fist up, we will have... Do you know what? I'm going to go first. I'm going to break with form. Boo! Oh, going first. Spicy, spicy, <laughs> spicy, spicy. Wow, yeah. Yeah. that is you. you. <laughs> You're a buzz. I like a buzz. <laughs> hey, age before beauty. Hey, lads, age before beauty. Isn't it? Hey, hey. Bruce Wayne, to the denizens of Gotham, is known primarily as a rich playboy. That's not who he is underneath, of course but it makes the leap to what the Joker has in store for him that much easier to take at face value. Once the Joker has his half of the mob's money, he can enact his real master plan. After laying low whilst his materials are constructed, Mr J can drop Bruce Wayne inside his city apartment by dropping a form-fitting steel case over the entire building, sealing Batman inside whilst Alfred is out setting fire to plant life or something. <laughs> He obviously doesn't know who Batman is, so he does this to all of Gotham's billionaires' places of residence, reasoning that Batman must be a man of considerable means. The place is riddled with surveillance equipment so that he can keep close tabs on his potential Batman. He has the money. This is all very plausible, I assure you. Next... Next, he needs to limit Brucey's internet and television access to just one television station, and that television station is Fox News. Initially resisting the urge, but soon finding his options far too limited, the div bag hasn't even got any books. Wayne turns the television on to the only station available to him. Wondering out loud, on air, if Barack and Michelle Obama giving one another a fist bump is a terrorist gesture. Advising viewers to go out and buy themselves a gun in response to a Muslim invasion. Underground celebrity-led paedophile rings run out of pizza parlour basements. You get the idea. Fox News as <laughs> usual. <laughs> when a sufficient amount of time has passed, let's say nine months, the time it takes a beautiful baby to gestate in the womb, the Joker can move on to phase two of his corrupting scheme. <laughs> During this time, Bruce will have grown quite out of shape. See me and the ruin the pandemic inflicted upon my body and mind for details. All of a sudden, out of the blue one day, a magic phone, as Norm MacDonald would call them, appears in the sitting area of Wayne's gloomy prison of glass and steel. On it would be just one app, with every other feature of a smartphone locked out. Again, remember the Joker is minted. Money is no object. The Joker has developed his own social networking site for the white straight Republican male named J Anon Social. Like most social media, it allows for people to speak with other like-minded people in their own little echo chambers of identikit politics and belief systems. The hive mind's beliefs in this instance are that Mexicans should be executed on sight. Women are subordinate to men, and the female orgasm is a myth. And drag queens are now evil groomers for some reason? Although dubious at first, Bruce is gradually swayed by the old men shouting at clouds and being delusional lunatics as he succumbs to loneliness and poisonous right-wing media. His belly fat from lots of microwavable ready meals, wine, and no exercise. His mind, body, and soul crushed. Finally... 
In the year 2020, Bruce Wayne utters the words, Stop the count. (laughs) His moral compass has been broken. Naturally, the other imprisoned billionaires broke a lot sooner, as Bruce is the one good rich man. The Joker himself, now a billionaire, as a successful city dealer, after Bane and Talia al Ghul have crashed Gotham and the world's economy, sits in the drawing room of his replica Tudor mansion, built atop the rubble of Wayne Manor. He wears a custom purple tuxedo. Through the bugs installed in Bruce Wayne's penthouse, he hears those words and produces a handgun. Heh, he says, before shooting himself in the head, satisfied with his work. Wow. Nice. That's a long old plot <laughs> in the making as well. Well, the first thing to say is um, my feeling, my sense is that it's become almost moot to pick apart each other's plans at this point because there's so little interest in the rules that we set out when we started, i.e. that we have to have the resources that the villain has and so on and so forth. Loads of money. Yeah, I don't think he has that much money. He's got fucking half the mob's money. Money, 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 money. That's a big pile of money. That's a fucking big pile of money. It's a few million, isn't it? It's not billions. It's three hundred million. Um, minutes, what? Yeah, it's a fucking shit ton. That's not enough money to construct even one steel cage capable of fitting over a city tower block. And, it would be. Come on, Batman <laughs> is a world-class escapologist. You're telling me you can't get out of a fucking cage? I was going to... That was my question. <laughs> so this nine months he's sitting on his ass. there's not one escape attempt. He just resigns himself to the fact that he's covered in a metal shield. Oh, he, he could try, but he would not succeed. <laughs> in Dark Knight Rises, he's in the pit with a broken back and he doesn't get out of shape then. He exercises as much as he can, stays in shape. Hasn't he got like a loose-fitting... Uh, cassock on. How do you know he's in good shape? <laughs> <laughs> he's wearing a, a girdle most of the time. He's wearing a moo-moo. <laughs> he could just not watch Fox News, right? He could just, just turn the TV yeah. off. He's got nothing else to occupy his mind, though. Yeah. He's got no books. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. But how about this? You're telling me that the Joker becomes a successful dealer in the city. Yeah. Well, I can't buy a Joker doing that, for one thing. But Talia is the big wrinkle in your plan here because she already knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. There's no way she's going to let him rot in some tower. She wants revenge on him specifically, as does Bane. So that's where it falls flat for me. Well, you you can undo anything with logic, can't you? (laughs) I I don't think you're playing fair with me, if I'm being honest. (laughs) I think you need to suspend your belief. In your logic. I think, Gaz, you just formally declare that you don't subscribe to that logic, and I think we'll be okay. What if we agree now that whoever edits this episode stops me at the point where I say uh, analysing each other's plans has become moot, and then we just won't have any of this interaction from now on? We'll just have a slow, warm applause. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Quite. (laughs) I declared most whimsical plan of the season. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. I enjoyed it a lot. Pure hilarity. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's getting getting many, many fun points. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) 
Oh, you haven't heard nothing yet. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, nice well. bit of sh- foreshadowing there, Tony. <laughs> yeah, well, since, since you're talking a big game, unless there's any more questions for me. I mean, yeah. there's fucking thousands of questions for you, but I, I haven't got time. Hit me with it. I've got an answer for everything. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I have neither the time nor the inclination. <laughs> Okay, shall we hear Adam's plan next, then? Right. The Joker doesn't like money, just chaos. However, he can do a lot with his half of the mob cash instead of burning it. Putting that money to devious use, he bribes the warden and various guards of Arkham Asylum and secretly busts the Scarecrow out. Bringing down the Batman is obviously hugely appealing to Scarecrow and... After a long-winded monologue from Joker about how he's right, Scarecrow is on board. That has only used a fraction of the huge amount of cash he has. What next? Well, I'll tell you what. Joker and Scarecrow go into business together. The business of crime, that is. (laughs) Seriously, though, they buy a factory that makes chocolate. (laughs) <laughs> Under the alias of Handsome Be Wonderful and Hooty McBoob. We'll call it Gotham Chocolate. Joker wants to make a chocolate bar so delicious it can corrupt the incorruptible. Scarecrow, with his background in mind-bending substances, frenetically works to blend the smooth, sweet milkiness of chocolate, chocolate with the irresistible charms of narcotics and unholy alliance. After testing the chocolate on some of their unsuspecting lackeys, Joker and Scarecrow are satisfied. They have created the key to Batman's undoing. Using their aliases, they announce a launch party and invite all of Gotham's elite to come and sample their new product. Naturally, as the famous son of Gotham, Bruce Wayne, he receives an invite and attends as such. A gathering of high society is sure to draw the attention of the Joker. Batman mutters to himself. <laughs> the opulence of the launch party is incredible, with a gigantic chocolate fountain at the centre, with the two hosts holding court on solid gold thrones. Bruce Wayne is mingling, anticipating that Joker and his minions will show at some point, and like clockwork, they eventually crash the party. Joker begins spouting his usual nonsense, something about chaos and how his party... This party and Gotham's elite represent the established order and that tonight he will change that. Wayne decides it's time to act and sneaks off. Just before Joker drowns Hootie in the chocolate fountain, Batman smashes through a window or something and fly kicks Joker away. (laughs) Panic ensues and people flee for their lives. As Joker recuperates, he reaches under a nearby table and grabs what looks like a dark chocolate cricket ball. Hey, Batman, have you ever tried a chocolate bomb? Joker tosses it to Batman, and as he catches it harmlessly, it explodes, hilariously covering Batman's face in chocolate. Joker cackles uncontrollably. Batman licks part of the chocolate from his chops. Checkmate the Joker. With that fateful lick, Batman consumes the concoction created by Joker and Scarecrow. His eyes go all swirly. Like that big mouse character who loves cheese from that film that time. <laughs> More chocolate, says Batman. 
<laughs> oh, there's more chocolate for a good boy, but you've got to earn it. More chocolate. Kill Harvey Dent. No. Kill Harvey Dent for chocolate. Chocolate. Kill Harvey. Chocolate. Harvey. With that, Batman races off to kill Harvey Dent for his share of the chocolate. (laughs) With Batman under his power. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to get to the end of this. (laughs) There's more. With a sugar-crazed, chocolate, narcotically high Batman at his will. But (laughs) Joker... Joker has corrupted... The incorruptible. I've got to stop there, otherwise I'm going to piss myself. <laughs> it uh, sounds a lot like what I'd expect to see in in Batman TV series from 1966. <laughs> it's, it, it was inspired. I think it's one of the Batman films. They they isn't it with Poison Ivy and stuff. There was like a soiree and they bust in or something like that. I can't. When he's got the. Batman Mastercard, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I can't remember. It, something like that, I thought, but I thought big, big posh dues are usually the the places where minions come in and stuff like that. But I thought, well, how about they turn the tables and set the posh do because they know Batman's expecting a, a thing and set it up like that. One so. thing that confused me slightly: you said that at the at the do, the hosts of yeah. the soiree, which were Joker mm-hmm. and Scarecrow, were sat on thrones. Yeah. But then they later crashed the party. Yeah, that, that threw me. Yeah, it was. Because uh, I, 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 sorry, I, did, I should have said air quotes hosts. Yeah. Oh, it's not really uh, them. Sorry. So they've got like. No, it's they've not got stand ins. Mm. Like doubles. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Apart from that, um, watertight. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate tight. Chocolate is thicker than water. <laughs> no, if you want to call it an airtight chocolate plan, you'd have to say aero or whisper. Mm. <laughs> Aerotight. I was thinking it was all bullshit until you mentioned yeah. high class soiree and chocolate fountain. And those two things are, mm-hmm. are married in my mind anyway, so that really rang true. Mm-hmm. So well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Most of your golfing mm. plan was based around those two concepts, as I recall. I was trying to think, yeah, it was. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking about using the chocolate fountain first, but then I thought, no, because all the, all the posh people were going, oh, look at all this chocolate, and drinking from it and turning them into psychotic, drug-driven killers. But then I thought, no, I'll use a, like a, a, I thought, a bomb. And then I thought, oh, chocolate bomb's a thing. Mm, that's true. I've got one question for you, like a real one. Mm-hmm. It's with Batman's knowledge of the Joker mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. encountered Scarecrow before and knowing about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his substance that would the Batman lick chocolate off his face or might he wipe it off with his he might wipe it off with his glove or something it's instinctual instinctual because <laughs> you just get covered in comedy chocolate and you just go <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know that Scarecrow's been busted out of Arkham he's secretly busted him out because he's bribed uh, Joker's bribed the warden and the guards sure. to get him out I just think he's wary of it, like consuming substances is what I meant but mm. do you remember in Batman and Robin, Poison Ivy can't get to Batman and Robin after a while because they wear like a wax seal over their lips so her kiss doesn't work. Mm. I think uh. um, Christian Bale's Batman probably goes around 
with wax on his tongue at all times. Yeah. Oh, maybe, that, maybe that's why his lips are so, so uh, puckered all the time. <laughs> some of the chocolate would have absorbed through his skin, though, eventually. That's true, uh, actually, osmosis. yeah. Yeah. Pause, yeah. Okay. Osmosis. Well, everything checks out uh, for me. His skin's not as aerotight as your plan turned out to be. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about, uh, as well, um, the same time, I was thinking about that McBay movie where he busts out of the ice sculpture and he, and he goes, <laughs> Lemon Pub McBay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> as you were talking through your plan, all I had in my mind was what would happen if Augustus Gloop got to that chocolate fountain. Holy fucking shit. A ravenous Augustus Gloop on, on narcotics. That, oh, that yeah. is a horror film right there probably will be once it gets in public domain <laughs> everything will be a horror movie at some point shall we have craig next please madness is like gravy all it requires is a little starch <laughs> early in the dark night luscious fox presents bruce wayne with a new and improved luscious. bat suit intended to make it easier for him to reverse the state-of-the-art tank he later destroys with casual abandon Little wonder Wayne Enterprises' due diligence officer Coleman Reese grew suspicious of the R&D budget, with Bruce happily scrapping billion-dollar prototype Batmobiles like so much cheap Lamborghini. And here's where the Joker should have been like the dog chasing cars he professed to be, instead of the schemer he assured Dent he was not. Because if, instead of ordering Reese's execution, the Joker had instead gotten hold of Reese instead and tortured the confession out of him instead, he would have learnt just what kind of man has bats on the brain. Joker suspects we're all one bad day away from becoming just like him, and he picks Dent as guinea pig, but in this case, he should have chosen a different rodent, the bat himself, Bruce Wayne. So, what would it take to give Batman that little push into the descent? I told you already, starch, starch, his collar. Billy Crystal was the first Batman to experience discomfort in his rigid rubber suit, unable to turn his head independently of his body, unable to urinate, and therefore unable to stay hydrated while filming. Val Kilmer found his time in the suit isolating, unable to hear the other people on set, who therefore quickly gave up on trying to speak to him. Robert Pattinson has described the suit as boiling hot. George Clooney felt humiliated by his nipples. <laughs> ben Affleck's suit... That, that was nothing to do with the suit. <laughs> ben Affleck's suit made his face look weird. As for the Batman in question, Christian Bale almost quit the role due to claustrophobia, feeling unable to breathe, unable to think experiencing the sensation his head was being squeezed by the cowl. Now, imagine experiencing that every night from dusk until dawn, not as an actor, but as a clearly slightly unhinged vigilante who dresses like a bat in real life, doesn't have a real social life, and routinely gets mauled by dogs. <laughs> it's enough to drive a perfectly sane person crazy! So, once I discover Bruce Wayne's secret, I put the squeeze on Fox and Alfred, and I deny the Batman his little upgrade. I destroy his sectional suit and leave him with only his old prototype. Then, 
I lure him into a space that's cramped and hot and loud. Maroney's nightclub. And lock him in, flooding the place with Scarecrow's latest fear toxin. I arm the crowds so he's forced to defend himself. In his crazed state, how can he avoid hurting anyone? Just to be sure, I plan the coup de grace. I bring back his parents and convince him they're alive, only to later pull the rug out and reveal the truth. I've just put googly eyes on my hands and used my thumb and forefinger as a puppet mouth. That's not really Thomas and Martha. It's my right-hand man, Fisty, and his girlfriend, Pamela Hand. (laughs) Devastated and broken, Batman must now surely go on to break his one rule and kill me, and probably Superman if they ever cross paths. Definitely Catwoman and Bane, they're fucking dead. (laughs) I'm docking you a point for calling it Pamela Hand and not Pamela Henderson. I think you missed that. Oh, I've I've written Henderson, but I tripped Uh, over my words. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you you blew it. <laughs> <laughs> that's only one point you dock me though, right? I start with like ten, and you dock them. For, that's how I do it for everybody. You all start with a perfect score, and I knock off one point every time I hear something that's bollocks. <laughs> turn us on minus fucking by, by the end of the first sentence. Uh, yeah, uh, God, uh... boil it down for me, Craig. I kind of lost the thread a bit there. <laughs> Reese knows who Wayne is, so Joker has a way of finding out. So once he knows, he takes the fight to Fox and Alfred, and he destroys the sectional bat suit. It's gone, so he's only got his old suit that he can't move in, um, which you know is cramped. He doesn't like it. Get him in Maroney's nightclub, lock him in. He's feeling claustrophobic already. He's feeling the pressure. Flood the place with fear toxin. We saw what that did to him in the first movie. wasn't good. The crowds in the nightclub are also dosed with fear toxin, so they get into a big ruck, and Batman has to defend himself. Uh, and in case he doesn't accidentally kill anyone, I go up to him, take off my, you know, I've got my gas mask, and I go, "Hello, it's your dad. Hello, it's your mum. We're alive. We love you." And then, actually, we hate you, and we are dead. Look, ha ha ha. And then he goes over the edge (laughs) and he just, he'll kill anyone then. Especially Superman fucking, he'll kill, (laughs) he'll kill fucking Superman. (laughs) Where where does he get the toxin from? Well, Scarecrow's still around and his toxin has been for sale. Yes, it's a recreational Mm. drug. There's a drug bust, start of the film. Oh yeah, fair I wouldn't be buying drugs from the Scarecrow. It's a bit of a silly idea, isn't it? He's a bit of a rough customer. If I was buying drugs from a Scarecrow, I'd already think I was on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought that was a good plan, Craig. I thought it was very good. I think my only issue with it is the joke would need some kind of foreknowledge to know that Reese knew about Bruce Wayne. When he finds out in the movie, that's when he finds out in my plan. And his parents as well. Hand puppet parents. No, because right in the Dark Knight, Joker knows that Reese knows who Batman is, and he's going to go on the news and tell people who Batman is, and he decides he doesn't want that anymore. So ah, he says, okay, instead, I see. He's I putting see. a bounty on Reese. So instead of putting a bounty on Reese, he goes and gets Reese for himself. And finds says, out. Right, okay. He tortures him. You tell me who the Batman is, because we know he can do torture. Um, and then once he found out, it's public knowledge that Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm happy. Everybody happy? I'm yeah. bloody ecstatic. Yeah. Then, let's yeah. have Lord Manly Supreme's plan. 
All right, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the Joker's scheme isn't bad. Not bad at all. But he didn't manage to corrupt Batman. Does that mean he's incorruptible? No. We just need to create more opportunities to test his moral compass. For me, exploding Rachel to bits was an error of judgment. After seeing Batman dive out of the window after her, I'd know how important she was to him, and I'd use that to my advantage. I'd kidnap Rachel, just like in the movie. I'd even tie her up and surround her with explosives. But rather than on a rooftop, she'd be tucked away in a specially designed angular dome in my hideout in an abandoned amusement park. I'd send a video to the media showing me calling out the Batman and roughing Rachel up a bit. I'd demand that Batman comes alone or his sweetheart gets it. Naturally, he would do as he's told. As soon as he steps foot in my hideout, dynamic yet creepy music fills the dank air. He hears my voice. Pick one of the four doors in front of you. They all lead to the girl, but be quick. She doesn't have much time. A timer reading one minute begins to count down. Batman glances at the doors. He sees one with a cog symbol on it, one with a shield, one with a stylized sun, and one with a futuristic-looking computer. He bolts for the door with the sun and heads inside. The door slams behind him, and metal bars cover it. He's in a place surrounded by sandstone walls with small wooden doors built into them and a pyramid dead ahead. The timer reads 56 seconds. He hears my voice again. Welcome to the Aztec Zone. Looks like Rachel is going to need more time. Pick a door, win a game, and earn 30 seconds for your damsel in distress. <laughs> Feeling the pressure of the clock, Batman darts to the nearest door. Inside, he sees four people chained to guillotines. A red one, a blue one, a green one, and a yellow one. On the wall, he sees a crude diagram of heads of corresponding colours stacked one on top of the other. He knows what he must do to win the game. The clock ticks. 48 seconds. Rachel's scream plays over the PA in between bursts of discordant notes from a harmonica. 42 seconds. <laughs> a bead of sweat drips from his mask. Batman shakes as he activates the guillotines then quickly stacks the freshly severed heads into a grisly totem pole. The clock jumps to one minute, 12 seconds. A heady cocktail of relief and adrenaline pumps through his veins. A door opens on the other side of the room. Batman charges through it, finding himself in a futuristic zone. He plays another game that involves human sacrifice in order to win. It's easier this time. As is the next time in the medieval zone, and the time after that in the industrial zone. Finally, he comes to a large room with a crystal dome in the centre. Rachel sits inside, bound to a chair. As Batman approaches, he sees blood pouring from her hands and feet. He hears my voice. Impressive. You made it to Rachel with 52 seconds on the clock. As you can see, I've separated her fingers and toes from her body. But don't worry, there's still time to have them sewn back on. You have 52 seconds to collect as many as you can and escape. And when the timer runs out, kaboom. 
I step out of the shadows and press a big red button next to the dome. Fans begin to whirl. Fingers and toes swirl around Rachel. I place my hand on the door handle. Going in? I ask. Or you could just kill me. It would be much quicker. Either way, I've already won. Krypton Factor. Beautiful. Did you get PTSD from watching this? <laughs> <laughs> well, so... <laughs> If you remember nothing else from that plan, just the finger and toes swirling around Rachel like gold and silver fucking tokens. How many toes do you have to get to win the special prize? Ten, I guess. And then put them on ice. <laughs> the special prizes, she has a total of toes. Yeah, but if you collect fingers for every silver you... If every finger, does that eliminate a toe? No, I, I think you can have them all because he's, he's been through quite a lot to get there. What you could do is put... Someone else's toes... I should have yeah. put someone else's yeah. toes in there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, dear. You didn't think the end of it through properly. No, I didn't. Because there was, no, there was no reward scheme at the end of it, you see. Well, it apart from her life. The thing that was missing for me was any kind of uh, anything to make Batman kill. <laughs> he just does it. No, it's Rachel. He needs to <laughs> just... save Rachel the timer. Have you, but... ever had to... Have you ever been timed doing something? Do you know the pressure of a timer? <laughs> It's very stressful. I think that he wouldn't abandon his no-kill rule just because there was a short amount of time to decide whether or not to do it. I agree with that. I cheerfully disagree. Yeah, has anybody got an egg timer? Because I would like to turn that egg timer over now and see if Craig kills somebody. That's, that's different. I'm not Batman. I haven't got a no-kill code. <laughs> Possibly the most disturbing plan we've had so far. I think I so. Once you go to the fingers and toes. <laughs> what it, of it, the entire in the entire show, basically yeah. the entire yeah. podcast? Twenty-eight episodes so. worth. Do you think so? <laughs> w- w- worse than slathering a, a dead child in chocolate. And yeah, then that's, that's the worst thing. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. still gives me nightmares. Yeah. That is peak for me. I think that was harder to take seriously. But this one, I believed it. <laughs> In summation, uh, we had my plan, which was to turn Bruce into a maga. We had Adam's plan, which was a narcotic-filled chocolate. Then we had uh, Craig's plan, which was to use the fear toxin uh, of the Scarecrow on Batman and trick him into thinking his parents were alive and they're not alive and they hated him <laughs> and then we had Lord Manly Supreme's plan which uh, involved Batman going through the crystal maze having to kill people in each zone to rescue Rachel <laughs> so if everybody could cast their vote look that's that's bribery as far as I can see but you do it's already music. in your mind I voted for Craig I voted for Gaz I voted for Adam I voted for Lord Manly Supreme oh shit it's a four way tie four way tie oh wow holy mackerel holy fuck half a point each <laughs> Well, there's a first time for everything. There can oh, only yes. be one winner. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> Half a point each. 
points each on the board. Goddamn circle jerk this week. <laughs> a Dutch runner of a tie, if you will. Uh, with this week's four-way tie, that puts the leaderboard at... Craig is top with five and a half points. Joint second with three and a half points is myself, Gaz and Adam. And in final place with two and a half points is Lord Manly Supreme. All right, all right, all right. Well, with that, we've gone round the horn once more and therefore Adam will be hosting the podcast next week with his choice of film. What is it? Well. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Well. What is it? Come to that time. (laughs) We're going to do one of my favourite films of all time. What is it? And I suspect probably of a few from this panel as well. Next week, we shall be watching Alien. (laughs) Very good. Very good. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Look, we say this every week, but it really does matter and make a difference. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars on your podcast provider, Spotify, Google, wherever. And tell your friends in person or in social media. Word of mouth is the best tool that we have. So please tell your friends about Diabolical if they like podcasts. Or even if they don't, just tell them. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. Next week, we will be discussing Alien, and we hope you'll be back with us. Until then, remember, everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it isn't the end. Right. How about that? Four-way tie. Unbelievable. Please, all of us, let's give Adam the same respect we gave Gaz. Um, (laughs) And by by that, I mean, Turner did a massive fart in the middle of Gaz's, so try and... uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) fucking well loud. My eardrums are fucking reverberated. (laughs) Before you do your plan, Turner, could you give us a quick recap of Gaz's? Just curious to see whether you paid any Uh, attention... Yeah, I did. I did. I was listening. It, was, it basically put big me- metal uh, cake cover over loads of buildings. <laughs> and you think billionaires yeah. are gonna, yeah, you know, like you know those glass. Like the fancy ones. <laughs> like, like, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> over the buildings. Cake shield. Trap people in their buildings. Yeah, cake, cake shield. Cake shield. Cake dough. On Dragon's Den. Cake dough. What was the turnover yeah. in the first year? Uh, apple. Apple turnover. <laughs> <laughs>